This morning, uh, in punctuation, we conclude, uh, we conclude this series that we've been in. I know it, seems, it feels like we just started it, doesn't it? It feels like we just got into it. But man, the Lord has taken us on a journey over the past several weeks. We began our time in this series right after Resurrection Sunday, talking about how, man, there's so, there's so many influences in our lives. There's so many voices in our world. There's, we are not at a lack for uh, opinions and pushy ones at that. Amen? We don't need to look very hard. We actually barely need to move to run into one. Right? But what the Lord would have us do in what I would think is probably one of the noisiest times in history is to get back to the source. And so we started this series in talking about going to the source of truth. Going to the source of truth and, and understanding that, that, that the Lord inspired what would be written down for us to go back and check. And that still to this day, even if we've been through this thing over and over and over, the Lord brings fresh revelation in the truth that is recorded in scripture. Then the second week, we talked about going to the source of life. Man, how often do we bounce from thing to thing to thing to thing? We try diet to diet to diet to diet to try and get ourselves right. But what Jesus reveals to us is that there's really only one way to get things right. In an interaction with a woman drawing water at the well, Jesus reveals to us that, that, that you can walk through this life and adapt to all the things that you feel like you need to adapt to. You can evolve. But ultimately, to really experience life, eternal life, to experience the joy and the rest of the fruits of the Spirit that he intends for us while we walk this fallen land there's only one well to draw from and then last week last week what was last week go to the source of uh what was it what was it offense oh yeah we love to forget that one we love to forget that one yeah y'all forgot too you you left here immediately you were like i ain't using that one because we talked in matthew 18 about how Jesus' instruction for reconciliation is going to the source of offense. Going to the person who brought harm to you. Going to the person that set you off. Right? We talked about needing to check, check the source. Not everything needs addressed. Not everyone needs addressed. We talked about checking the offense, what actually is it that hurt us? And then ultimately about checking our hearts. Saying like, am I, am I looking forward to correcting this person in the spirit of being right? Or is my heart posture really what Jesus's was, which is reconciliation? And for those who refuse our attempts at reconciliation, have we maintained being a witness to them? Have we maintained being an example 
of Jesus' grace, love, and truth in their lives? Or have we completely thrown away that influence? This week, we put our punctuation, we put the exclamation point on, on it all by finishing Matthew chapter 18 and talking about going to the source of forgiveness. So if you haven't started to already and you've brought your Bibles with you, I invite you to join me in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going back to chapter 18 to finish up some things. I only read to you three verses last week, so I felt the need to make up for it, right? I felt like I gypped you guys a little bit last week. We only got to three verses. So we're going to cover a little bit more ground to really, to really hit the rest of that chapter. If you have your electronic devices, feel free to, to look at those as long as you can fight off the temptation of the devil to go look at other people's opinions on social media. Or if you would prefer and it's just easier for you, let me invite you to just look up here on the screen. I love, love, love this section. This is one of my favorite versions of Jesus. Y'all hear me say this all the time, right? Like, like I love the version of Jesus that, that resurrected and then his first act upon being resurrected made breakfast for his folks. That's my favorite. That's just amazing. I love the version of Jesus that invites himself over. He goes to somebody and they're like, what can I do? And he's like, he's like we're going to have dinner. Great. Where should I meet you? Oh, we're going to your house. Like, I love that version of Jesus. I love the version of Jesus that flips tables in the temple and says, nah, y'all tripping there it goes right I love that version too but 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 I gotta I gotta pay my respects to to storytelling Jesus that we're gonna get into today I love storytelling Jesus we're gonna get into that so this is Matthew chapter 18 we're gonna start in verse 21 we're actually gonna read through the end of the chapter verse 21 says this then Peter came up came up and said to him meaning Jesus says Lord how often Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to this. It may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one servant was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, a payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. Does that sound familiar? He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Yeah. 
And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, Jesus says, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. My, my, my. My favorite game as a, as a little kid uh, growing up, nobody wanted to play with me because it takes too long. But I love the game of Monopoly. Anybody with me? Yeah, yeah, we got some Monopoly players. Let's get it going. Let's get it going after this. Y'all want to play some Monopoly? No, you're going to see your moms? Good for you. Mine's right here. I'm invited to play. Listen, I love playing Monopoly. And I used to believe that I was really good at playing Monopoly. I used to love inviting people to play Monopoly. And I used to think that it was a nice, friendly game. Until I played Monopoly with people from Barberton. I'm going to be real with you. I don't know if it's actually a Barberton thing, right? I'm not actually putting that on the city of Barberton. I'm just going to say that coincidentally, all the people who offended me in the story that I'm about to tell happen to be from Barberton. Yeah. <laughs> but we're playing Monopoly. And we're, we're, going, we're going around the board. And I'm not going to lie to you. There were some rules that came up that I was not hip to before playing with these folks. But I'm going with it. I'm going with the game, all right? And things just happen by the roll of the dice to be going well for me. They seem to be going my way. Now, we get to a point in the game where all the property, except for the utilities, because why are you wasting your money on those, right? That's a pro tip for you. Don't, don't even bother with the utilities. But get those railroads in Jesus' name. Listen. All the property, except for the utilities, had been bought up. And nobody in the game had a full set. Which means, you know, they can't build no houses, can't build no hotels. So we either about to nickel or dime each other to death, or we got to make some deals, right? Now, I happen to have the upper hand in property ownership. It's a coincidence. I happen to have the upper hand. And if I didn't want to make a deal, I didn't have to. I could really stall this game out if I wanted to. But being the kind, compassionate, wonderfully uncompetitive individual that I am, I agreed to make a deal. Now, there was no deal out there that was going to allow me to maintain the upper hand. So what I decided to do instead was to give a little bit, but in exchange... I asked that my first few times landing on said property, I would be let off of the debt that I owed. Yeah, I just gave y'all another tip. This is gold that I'm dropping right here. Everybody involved agreed. Now, we also conveniently waited to make this exchange on my turn. So I take my turn with my new property and some of my old property with my complete sets, feeling pretty okay about my position in the game. I take my turn. I move my piece. The next person, because it's their turn, had been saving up, so they started buying houses to put on their properties. Then the next person goes, buys more houses. Then the third person, there's only four of us, then the third person to go after me looked at the other guy. They exchanged in their eyes some sort of barbering code with each other. 
and he bought all the remaining houses. And then they told me about a rule that I did not know, which was when there are no more house pieces, you cannot buy any more houses. Did y'all know that rule? No, that's fake. And that's cheating. So they put me in a position where they took my property and then took up all the houses. So now I'm getting 12, 15, 18 at the most dollars every time they land on my property while I'm shelling out 60, 100, 200, $400 every time I land on theirs. And then this is what happened. I landed on their property with all the houses, which by that point had become hotels. And you know what they said? Pay me what you owe. And I said, hold on a second. We made a deal. When I land on your property, I wasn't going to have to pay that debt. They said that was before there was a hotel. This is new management. That deal doesn't apply here. And they literally held me to it. Guess who was the first person to go broke in that game? Guess who has three less friends? But there's a truth in that story that applies to what we're going to talk about today. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how when we're in the position of the disadvantage, that when we are the one that are in debt, yes, we plead for grace and mercy for the sake of the game. Amen. But then when it comes back around and others are indebted to us, we want every last penny we can get. Isn't it funny how we take very seriously the almighty Lord who has forgiven us? But when it comes to somebody offending us, we want every last ounce of gratitude, apologies, or whatever we can squeeze out of this relationship given back to us. Don't worry, we're back to normal this morning. We got three points today. Garrett called me out last week. He said, yeah, you only had two points, but one of your points had three subpoints. So don't, don't fool me. You had five points, and he was just trying to be nice about it. And Garrett doesn't go here anymore. So point number one, I'm just playing, I'm just playing, I'm just playing. Point number one, there is no limit to the Lord's generosity. Somebody can go home on that point today. There is no limit to the Lord's generosity. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, no limit. No say it again, no limit. no limit. Church, I need you to say it to me. Remind me of the gospel. Say, there's no limit. There's no there is no limit on the Lord's generosity. Peter is all of us. Peter is all of us going to Jesus and he says, I hear you, Jesus. I need to go to the source of offense. I need to go to the person who made me mad. I need, to, I need to work it out with some people that I got differences with. I don't think it's any coincidence that he's talking to his disciples in this chapter that he's telling them the stories because you know they all got different backgrounds. So you know, you know as the days get long and as the feet get tired, all those differences start to become tensions, right? They start to become tensions. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus is like, y'all got to work it out with one another. I've given you instruction to work it out with, with one another. And I also think it's so appropriate that Peter is the one. If you know the history of the character of Peter, 
you know why that's hilarious. Peter's the one, of course he is, that is looking at Jesus like, I hear you, I understand completely, and I'm with you. Good job. But like, you know, we all got that, but like, but like how many times? Like, am I just supposed to forgive them, forget it ever happened, and then when they do it again, forgive it again? That doesn't seem realistic. Jesus answers him like this. Peter said, what, 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 what are we thinking, like about, about, about seven times? That seems, that seems like biblical. That seems like a good, like, lawful number seven. That's a nice seven. That's a holy number. I like, I'm thinking seven times. I, they get a pass with me. They get seven passes with me. But then on that eighth time, it's, it's, it's they behind, right? Jesus says, I say not seven times. I say 77 times. Now, Matthew doesn't record this part, but I believe in my whole heart. Peter responds to that and says, okay, so 77 times. That's how many times I will make 77 passes. But Jesus is not being literal. He's trying to go above that. He's like, I'm not talking about the number that you have in your head. I'm talking about an incomprehensible number. I'm talking about you go above that. I'm talking about whatever forgiveness you have in your heart naturally, it's more. Because that's what is in the Lord. And then he tells the story. He tells a story of a king who's trying to settle up all his accounts. It's tax season, right? We all hate it, but it exists, right? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It's tax season. And a master is trying to, a master is trying to settle all of his accounts with his servants. And he comes to one servant in particular, and the, and the scriptures say that he owed 10,000 talents. Now, that already sounds like a lot right? That sounds like some, like, like some monsters coming to this planet and sucking it out of you type, type debt, right? But, but let me explain it to you. Let me, let's, let's break that down a little bit. One unit of what we're talking about at the rate of this servant's wage would take him 20 years to pay back. It would take 20 years to pay back one talent. He owed 10,000 talents. Somebody do that. Somebody, that's what I said. What were you doing? Like, what were you into? That you racked up 200,000 years worth of a wage. What were you into? Don't answer that question. I know where your mind goes. What do you have to be doing? How poor of character do you have to have to rack up such an catch this word, insurmountable amount of debt. It's insurmountable. And he says to his master, I'll pay you back. Can we keep it real? No, he won't. No, he won't. I'll pay you back. It's a teenager wrecking their car for the first time. And they look at their parent or their guardian and they say, can you fix it? I'll pay you back. Really? With your no job? And your sweeping the steps allowance? I don't, I don't think so. I'm just talking about me. I'll pay you back, Mom. I swear. I swear I will. I'm like four or five cars deep on that debt. Listen. 
It's an insurmountable amount of money. There's no way this dude is ever going to pay his master back. And his master, knowing a couple of things. Number one, he's never going to pay it back. His character clearly does not vouch for the fact that he's even going to try. And I know, even if he did try, it's all fallen short of this debt. But what does he do anyway? With pity, with compassion. He says, it's forgiven, man. It's forgiven. Listen to me. Somebody in here this morning needs to hear just that part. You're right. You have racked up one heck of a debt. Your character has gotten you in places where you have racked up a debt that you could never pay back. You have taken things from people that you could never replace. You have hurt people that no gift on any holiday could ever make up for. When you're alone and nobody is watching and the things that you justify because you're not necessarily hurting somebody else, you're just hurting yourself over and over and over. There's nothing you can do to pay that back. There's nothing you can do to fix that. And here's the thing, I'm not gonna harp this point much longer because I know you feel that in your heart. I know that weight that you're feeling. I know that weight of knowing that in the moment, it just came out of emotion, but then immediately after you regretted, but you couldn't take back. And now it's awkward. It's, it's hard. I don't know how to, I don't know, I don't know. I know you feel that. But the gospel of Jesus Christ looks at every ounce of that and says, it's forgiven. It's forgiven. I know, especially if you're going to talk about God's standards, I know we ain't been living right by people's standards. Let's not even talk about Jesus Jesus said it's forgiven. I'm still going to go through this whole deal for you. And I think that it's important to go here real quick, which is why I made it my second point. I think it's important for us to know that we've got to forgive ourselves. It says in Psalms that When the Lord forgives us, he puts our sins apart from us as far as the east is from the west. Do you all know that the east never touches the west? That's as far away as your sin is from you when you have been forgiven. Book of Hebrews tells us that upon your forgiveness... Jesus forgets about it. He forgot about your sin. Can I tell you something? He ain't never going to bring it up in an argument with you. 
He's never going to tell you it's forgiven. Act like you're all good. And then the next time there's a little bit of friction in your relationship, bring that thing back up. And you're like, oh, here we go again. Oh, that's what you're mad about. We're still back on that. He ain't never going to do that to you. Scripture says it's wiped clean. He knows the dirt roads that we've been traveling on. He knows the muck and the grime that has been latching onto our clothes, how dirty our feet are. And he's like, nah, fam, you're clean. The only person still holding on to that is you. Somebody needs me to say that to them again. The only person still holding on to unforgiveness of yourself is you. Between you and God, the only person still thinking about that thing from last year is you. Between you and God, the only one still still punishing you for what you've been into is you. The only person who looks at you any different because of all that is you. We've got to get to a place where we begin to forgive ourselves. And that's hard. That's hard. It seems like we can't. Or it seems like we, we shouldn't, right? We should pay a debt for this. That's what our society tells us. We should be paying a debt for this. But the radical nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ is he's like, no, it's actually forgotten. Did you know that forgive but don't forget is not in the Bible? Like, did you know that? Did you know that that's some foolish thing that somebody a long, long time ago, if they had a Twitter, would have tweeted? And they probably didn't even have a blue check mark? Like, yo, that's not the gospel. Did you know that holding on, holding grudges, and carrying the weight of unforgiveness is not a part of God's plan? Did you know? You probably didn't. You might not have, depending on your upbringing. But did you know that when you face God face to face, what he's not going to do is roll out this ridiculously long scroll and start reading to you a list of every single sin you ever committed? That's not what the gospel says. That's the cartoon imagery that was in my head, but that's not what the gospel says. Amen. It's forgotten. We ain't bringing it up no more. It's dead. It's buried. We're moving on. Or at least he is. You can catch up if you want to. Hallelujah. How about this? Point number three. We're already there. Point number three. We're going to spend some time on this one. Point number three. Forgiven people. Forgive people. Yeah. Now don't quote me on that. Right? I mean, it's in the gospel, right? It's, it's, it's in what we just read. But what I'm saying is like, I don't know, that's such a simple thing. There's no way that I said it first. So like, somebody said that before, I'm sure. Because it's a principle. That comes directly from Jesus' words. Forgiven people. Forgive people. Are you a forgiven person? 
And some of y'all just hit me in your minds with the yeah, but. I ain't no, ain't no but. I walked through 2020. I'm tired of but. You feel me? Ain't no but. Are you a forgiven person? If you are truly forgiven, if you are truly functioning in your forgiveness, if you are truly living in the abundance, grace, and mercy that the Lord offers, then the necessary action is that you also forgive others. That's what it means to be a forgiven person. That's what it means. When Jesus flips it, flips the script to the second half of the story, he starts by talking about that same servant. I think, isn't that literally how the text says it? That same servant. Look back at it with me one time. Verse 28. But when that same servant, listen, have you ever been in an argument with somebody and they hit you with, aren't you the same person that you know you're in trouble? Jesus hit him with, now I'm talking about that same servant. You know, that one with the insurmountable debt, that one that accumulated 200,000 years worth of wages in debt, that one whose master had a right to sell him and his children. They didn't even do nothing. That's how much debt he was in. Not only did that same servant not get sold, which would have been culturally appropriate. Not only did that same servant not get sold, but that same servant got let off and forgiven. That same servant went to his peer. His peer who in comparison to his 200,000 year wage debt owed him a couple hundred bucks. Owed him a day's wage. Choked him out. Said, give me my money. I'm saying, it's crazy. He grabbed him. He grabbed him by the neck, tried to take his very breath for a couple hundred dollars, for one, some 600,000th of a fraction of what he just got let off of. Said, pay me my money. Now, in the spirit of what we talked about last week, Remember when I said, I showed you that graphic of like one needs to go to two, and if two won't listen, we got to go to three, and three goes back with you, and what I say, the church needs more mature number threes, amen? amen. Let, me, let, let me take you there for free real quick. What did the bystanders do in this story? What did the number threes do? They weren't the servant who were owed. They weren't the servant who owed. They were the ones that were around. What did those number threes do? They went to the master. They went directly in this story. Who's the master? Come on. It's ain't your question. It's the Lord. They went directly to the Lord. You want to talk about more mature number threes? They didn't go back to their house and say, Mama, what I just witnessed in the streets. 
They didn't get on their phones and start texting people. They didn't get it out to record and then put it up on World Star talking about look at what happened. They didn't go on Facebook talking about I'm on this person's side. They didn't do none of that. Where'd they go? They went directly to the Lord. It said justice belongs to the Lord. Let me take this before I do anything about this. Let me take it to the Lord. Said, Lord, we know that you just let him off an insurmountable debt. And here he is. They went directly to the Lord. I cannot stress enough how important it is that when we watch things that are against the gospel of Jesus Christ, how important it is that our primary reaction is to go to the Lord. I cannot express enough the importance that when we witness things like this happen, we witness supposedly forgiven people doing seemingly unforgivable things, how important it is that the primary place we go is to the Lord. As far as what we do after that, you can see the sermon last week, right? But I couldn't, I couldn't read that in the story and, and then let that go. But as this servant is choking his peer out over a day's wage, over an incomprehensible fraction of what he just got let off of, this was his peer. So he did not have the right that the master had to have this person sold. But what did he do instead? He took what was within his rights. All right, I might not have the same rights as God. I may not be able to take this person's salvation away from them. I may not be able to physically move them to another country that I think would be preferable for them. But let me take what's in my right to do. And what my constitution tells me is that I can say whatever I want to say. So let me say whatever I want to say about this person. Let me say it in the way and by the medium that I want to say it. And let me see if I can't get the law on my side. Let me see if I can't get people to agree with me to cancel. I mean, to throw this person in jail. Isn't it funny how when we're the ones who are owed, we immediately recognize maybe we don't have God's rights. Maybe I can't condemn them officially to hell, but I can do some stuff in my power to them. I can cancel them. I can cut them off. I can make life more difficult for them. I can do a lot of things that's well within my rights to hurt that person in a way that I feel would be appropriate according to my hurt. But did Jesus use that as an example of a Christ-like response? I see a lot of people looking at the floor, which means I know you feel me. 
Jesus use canceling, cutting off, throwing away, getting rid of, making more miserable, a positive example of how we handle these situations? Somebody in here is like, yeah, but. What I tell you about those buts. Somebody in here is like, but you're not speaking to this situation. Pastor, if you knew the gravity of this one over here, you wouldn't be talking like you're talking. Maybe not. I probably would say it a bit nicer if I knew the specifics, but I promise you I'm delivering the same truth. Okay, so let me just say it to you direct while I don't know the details. Jesus says, forgiven people, forgive people. And cursed is the person who doesn't. Because if you're out here with unforgiveness in your heart, you don't know me. If you're out here with unforgiveness in your heart, You're the person who will say to me in the end, Lord, Lord, I cried out your name. I did all these things for you. I gave to your church. I wore the t-shirts. I used the statuses. I made them cute little scripture graphics on my Instagram. And the Lord's going to look at you and say, with that unforgiveness in your heart? No, you didn't know me. You didn't hear me. You wasn't living like me. No, you're not coming in here. You don't believe me yet? Let me give you the most infinite example I can think of. Jesus came to this earth, came with a mission. That mission was to redeem humanity. That mission was to see all who called out his name, welcomed into life eternal that is not like this world we live in right now. He came to establish his kingdom, go to the kingdom, and look behind him and see masses of people following him into the kingdom. And while he did that, he lived through the same temptations that we live through. Man, gossip is not the appropriate word for what people did to him. They talk so bad about this man. That his reputation got him put in jail. What did Jesus do to you? They talk so poorly about him that his reputation got him put in cuffs and unjustly put in prison on some crooked trial stuff that shouldn't have even been held up. And then Jesus, for days on end, was beaten. He got whips that were reserved for war for your worst enemy. Jesus got those whips. I'm not talking about the kind he made in the temple to get some people out because he was mad at them. I'm talking about the kind with the real nasty claws that when they whip you, they would get into your skin. And then when you pulled them back, they'd rip the flesh. That's the whips I'm talking about. And that was the beginning of his punishment. Jesus got drugged through the streets. 
he got this big old tree that only a storm could have taken out, thrown on his back. That one that you called the tree company about, he had on his back. And then told to go up the road to a hill. And the whole ride, the whole crawl up there, he was spit on. He was mocked. They made fun of him. They took his clothes. Can you think of a more undignifying thing than that? They did everything they know to treat him as low as you could possibly treat a person on this earth. And then they nailed him to a cross. But had no mercy to end it there. They put up that tree on a hill so that all could, be, could see this example. And they let him suffocate. They let him breathe, uh, bleed out. He had no energy left. There was no conversation to be had. It was clear the statement that was being made. Don't be like Jesus. That's what their culture said. I know we think ours is different. And with a dying breath, after all he had went through, being thrown out of cities, attempted murder, defaming his character, spitting on him. That's not a felony, but I feel like it should be. Yeah. I'm saying. After all that treatment, you know what he said with his breath? I see you looking at the ground again, so I know you know what he said. He said, forgive them. Because they don't get it. They don't see the whole picture. You ever thought about somebody? Yeah, but if you really knew me, you wouldn't say those things about me. That's what Jesus was saying. You ever felt unfairly treated? Because, man, they just don't know. They don't know. They don't, they don't know what led to that emotional outburst. They don't know why you said the things that you said. You don't know why. They, 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 they don't know the story behind the scars on your body. They don't see the whole picture. Jesus said to his father, they don't see the whole picture yet. Still prayed that they would. Said, forgive them. Look, let me land this plane like this. I know you don't need to tell me. I know that you're carrying unforgiveness in your heart. That's one of the hardest things one of my friends said to me recently. It's a few months ago. When I was on sabbatical. He looked me in my face. He said, Corey, I admire the way you chase after God. Like you do so much to be obedient to God. But for somebody who is so passionate about following the example of Christ, you hold a lot of grudges. And after I tried to fight him, <laughs> yeah, he would have whooped me. When I got down to it, I realized he was exactly right. 
There were things from when I was young that I was still holding on to. There were things that people didn't even say, but I felt like they didn't have to say it because I saw it that I was holding on to. There were things that I swore up and down to the people around me didn't bother me that I was holding on to. There were things against people that didn't have nothing to do with nothing that I was holding on to. There were things that are so out of my character to care about that I was holding on to. There were things that I have no control over, no ability to change that I was holding on to. And I can't speak to what caused that weight to be on you. But I can testify to the freedom that I felt that night in my hotel room as I wept because I wanted to make the conscious decision to let go of those things. Things that I felt like I was rightfully owed. Things that I felt like if you all knew the details of, you would agree with me. Instances that I'll never get back. That any logical person would hold on to. I had to let that go. And the freedom that I felt in my life is like something I can't even explain to you. I can, I can only say, the only words I can put to it is that I have to believe that's the way God intended me to live life. That's the type of freedom that I want for you. You're my family. I'm trying to walk with y'all. We can't walk while some of y'all still holding back in chains. I'm trying to climb a mountain open-handed with y'all. We can't do that while we're wearing chains. There's things that we need to let go of. That it is within your human right to hold on to. But Jesus speaks into your situation once and for all time and says, forgive them. Because I can honestly tell you, they know not what they do. Jesus is the source of forgiveness. Yes, he is. I would invite you to go there with me. Come join me at his feet. As we lay down the unforgiveness that we've held on to for way, way too long. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that while our debt was insurmountable, while our debt is something that could not be overcome, that while we deserve the eternal death penalty, for just one of our offenses. You don't give us what we deserve. You give us your grace and mercy instead. 
Lord, we want to receive the mercy this morning. We know that in heaven we will stand before you blameless, not because of anything we could have done, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We stand before you blameless to sin no more, to hold grudges no more, to disagree and not get along with no more. We long for a taste of that kingdom here and now. Lord, by the investment of your Holy Spirit, give us the strength to let go. Give us the strength to give over to you the forgiveness and the right to be right that we've held on to. Deliver us, Father, from the evil weight of unforgiveness. Lord, reorder our steps, repurpose our hands, straighten our backs and help us, Lord, to mark out a path of freedom forward, worth other people following. We pray this in Jesus' name. All who believe say, bless up.